Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, hello, ghouls, ghosts, goblins, and everything in between. Welcome to Across the Veil with hosts Emma and Zelda. We're two amateur cryptozoologists on a mission to explore the things that lie... Beyond. Beyond what? Uh, I don't know. The the veil? It it just sounds poetic and mysterious. True. (laughs) Learn about cryptids, folklore, monsters, and things that are just kind of haunted. Anything that seems a little otherworldly and strange. Just like us. (laughs) New episodes out every Thursday on all of your favorite podcast platforms like Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at across.the.veil and Twitter at acrosstheveil1. We hope you join us next time. Across the Veil. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by the Slash and Cast Podcast Network. Learn more at SlashandCast.net. Welcome back to Reverie True Crime. I'm your host, Paige. In Ted Bundy's own words, he said, Murder is not about lust, and it's not about violence. It's about possession. A quote by Mark Green says, If the numbers we see in domestic violence were applied to terrorism or gang violence, the entire country would be up in arms and it would be the lead story on the news every night. This is the tragic story of Tara Lynn Grant's homicide by the hands of her own husband, Stephen Grant. Tara Lynn DeStramp was born in June of 1972 in Michigan. She was a smart young woman, who attended Michigan State University and graduated in 1994 with her bachelor's degree in business administration with an emphasis on marketing. While Tara was attending Michigan State University, 
she met Stephen Grant, who was from Macomb County. He was working with former state senator Jack Faxon. Stephen had dropped out of school so he could work with Jack. He and Tara had a terrific friendship for months. Stephen pursued her, but she made him aware that she kind of had a boyfriend from her hometown. He was a little annoyed by that answer. Stephen thought, this guy is either her boyfriend or he isn't. That answer of, I kind of have a boyfriend, was frustrating, but they stayed friends. Tara had an unfortunate event happen in her family that year. Her grandmother passed away. She took a plane to her hometown of Ascanaba, Michigan. The day of her grandmother's funeral service, before the funeral even began, to everyone's astonishment, Stephen showed up. He drove all day to get there because he believed it was the right thing to do, to pay his respects to Tara's grandmother. He called Tara when he arrived to let her know that he was there at the funeral to be by her side, and she was extremely surprised by it. Things got a little awkward because Tara's boyfriend was there. She let her boyfriend know that Stephen was her friend from college, and she introduced the two. Stephen tagged along with the family for dinner, but he did not feel the most comfortable. Stephen decided to make the trip back to Lansing. He claims that the next day, Tara called him and said she was in love with him. The friendship blossomed into a relationship. They were dating for a few months. Tara gradually started to move her things into Stephen's apartment in Okamas. Stephen knew how much Tara loved art so he proposed to her on the steps of the Detroit Institute of Arts. He and Tara got married in 1996. Ken McCauley was a childhood friend of Stevens, who went on the record saying, quote, He was the guy that you thought would grow up and rob a liquor store and leave his name tag on, and you'd see him on The Stupidest Criminals. Steve wasn't the most popular kid in the world, he wasn't the best looking, so I guess when I saw his wife, I was like, wow, good job, Steve. I never thought you would get someone like Tara. End quote. Stephen and Tara both had their own struggles with the economy not doing incredibly great. Coming across a job was not an easy task. This is when Tara would score a job at Morrison Knudsen that would be attained by the Washington Group. She went on to work for the Washington Group International, a construction company based in Idaho, where she would travel a lot because there were offices around the world. She and Stephen had a little girl, Lindsay, in November of 2000, and in November of 2002, they had a little boy named Ian. Stephen said their baby boy was a total surprise. Apparently, Tara went to the doctor, thinking she was getting the shot for birth control, but the doctor, or the nurse, accidentally thought she was there for a flu shot. So, no birth control shot was administered. When she and Stephen found out that she was pregnant, 
neither was mentally prepared for it. They originally just wanted one child, but when their bundle of joy was born, none of that mattered. They were over the moon. Tara kept striving at her job and making big moves within the company. In doing so, she and Stephen would not see each other as much. He said that her being gone so much was not easy, but he figured out how to handle it as time went on. Stephen was working at a tool and dye factory. In 2007, their little girl was six years old, and their son was four. Also, that same year, Tara was the breadwinner of their little family, while Stephen took care of the children, along with Verena Dirks, who was from Germany. She was their 19-year-old au pair. It was Valentine's Day 2007, when 37-year-old Stephen made a phone call to the Macomb County Sheriff's Office. He told them that 34-year-old Tara had been missing for five days. Stephen told the authorities that Tara would often leave, and that's why he didn't call sooner. They had an argument about how much she traveled overseas, he said. Stephen thought that she would come back home, as she usually did. They always had these disagreements. Stephen seemed threatened by the fact that Tara was so successful. He said that he resented how much time Tara spent away from home because of her job. He stated that they would have struggles of power, who was the boss of the household versus who was going to run the household. He has since said that it did not need to be that way. His frustrations while he and Tara were together about his wife quote-unquote wearing the pants in the relationship, making more money than him, and being away a lot started to build and build. By Stephen's account, on February the 9th, he heard Tara on the phone telling someone, I'll meet you at the end of the driveway. He said that she was picked up by a dark-colored sedan and that was the last time Tara was seen. According to Stephen, when she left in the car, quote, All I could do was close the garage door. I was done. I was tired of bickering about the traveling, so I just gave up. End quote. He said that Tara told him she had already planned to go back to Puerto Rico for her work but she was going to fly out a day earlier than she planned to. They had a fight about this for a few hours. The argument, Stephen claimed, never got physical. He said that she was screaming at him and that he would just get quiet and let her rant away. He explained that usually when people think of arguments between couples, that means physical violence must be a part of it. He and Tara would never do that, he professed, and it would never even come close to that. Stephen said he would never lay a hand on Tara. They just went their own separate ways, and she stormed out of the house. He stated that his biggest concern was that he would have to explain to the children the next day why their mother was not going to be there like she said she would. 
Stephen claimed the last words Tara uttered to him were, Don't forget to take my truck in on Monday for repairs. He said those words took the wind out of his sails. In his mind, she was telling him that that is all he was to her. That it was if she had said for Stephen to be the valet and take her car in. Again, these are simply Stephen's words and how he felt. He said he knew there were comments from people in the news saying Tara wouldn't just up and leave her children, and this had to be a case of foul play. Stephen would keep saying Tara would leave for five days at a time. She was there on weekends, according to him, but that it wasn't strange at all that she would pop in, kiss the kids, and be on her way again. The next day, Stephen was pulled over by a police officer, and he was arrested due to his license being suspended. Well, Stephen said this was only a way for them to question him a bit more about the disappearance of his wife. The police counteracted that claim, saying that was not true. Every day, the authorities were doing press conferences during their ongoing quest for Tara. The media was an excellent way for Stephen to get more exposure. He would start making appearances on the news over the next two weeks, making bold accusations that the authorities were harassing him. He also said he understood why people were accusing him of doing something to Tara. Stephen stated, quote, That's what I would think when I watched cases like this. When Lacey Peterson came up missing, I was sure her husband did it. But now, I'm on the other side of it. I know people think I had something to do with why Tara is missing, but I didn't do it. End quote. He would use the media quite a few times, in tears, as the distressed husband who yearned for his wife to come back home. He said he would much rather Tara was off with another man and not being harmed or in any danger. Oddly enough, after the cameras were off, he would ask the cameramen and women, How did I look on TV? Is it going to be strange if I get my hair cut? Is it okay if I go shopping? During the investigation, Stephen's sister Kelly said the couple's marriage was good, with the typical ups and downs. Tara's sister Alicia was in Stephen's corner, but did make a point to say that she was concerned because he seemed verbally controlling. During this time, the detectives on the case are keeping a close eye on Stephen while chipping away bit by bit at Stephen's unbelievable storyline of what he says happened. Detective McLean said, quote, We found out that she wasn't back in Puerto Rico. We had checked all the airlines. We knew her passport had not been used. We knew her credit card had not been used. And the cell phone records show when her last call was made. End quote. The investigators finally got a break in the case. A woman strolling through a local park spotted a little bag inserted into a tree. The bag was jam-packed with questionable objects. 
Detective McLean said, quote, Gloves, metal shavings, and blood. We later learned that it was, in fact, Tara's blood. This was major. Police started to organize a plan to have the park investigated. They would in no way take their eyes off of Stephen while this was happening. It was during this time when the police said Stephen was not very cooperative at all when they first started their investigation. He did take a polygraph test, but declined to answer any of their questions otherwise. Stephen also made it clear that he would only take the polygraph if it were not given to him by the police. The polygraph test came back inconclusive. March 2nd, 2007. The authorities had a search warrant for the Grant home, located in Washington Township, Michigan. Stephen let the authorities into the home and asked them if he could take his dog on a walk, since he wasn't detained. When they started looking around the home, what they would find was absolutely horrifying. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. To their utter shock, they came upon a dismembered torso stored in a plastic bag inside of the Grant's garage that was not in plain view. Immediately, this torso was thought to be Tara's. Stephen would walk the children in and out of this garage any time they left home, and they had no idea where their mom was. Detective McLean said, We were all standing in the garage, and my partner noticed this bin and it looked a little out of place, and he opened it up, and he could see that there was a lot of plastic in there, and he kind of poked at it, and he could feel a little give, and he's like, that doesn't feel right. This is when the detectives decided to take a deep breath and start cutting the plastic open. Author Andrea Billups said inside the bag were the clothed remains of Tara Grant, at least part of her. Her torso from the neck to the top of her thighs face up. She had on her bra, panties, and part of the slacks that she had been wearing. Tara Grant was dead, and part of her was in her own garage. What quite a few people may not know is... Things went into an ominous direction 
only a few hours before Tara's torso was found. Stephen begged the media to come to his home. He wanted to conduct an interview in the garage. As the media were pulling up, they said they received some information that police were going to begin searching the home. Stephen had been removed from the house, and within a short time, they had learned that portions of Tara's body were found in the garage. When they talked to psychologists and therapists afterwards, it seems like Stephen's idea or motive there was to get somebody as close to the crime scene as possible without revealing what he had done. While Stephen claimed he was just going to take his dog for a walk while the investigators did their work, he actually made his escape in a friend's yellow Dodge Dakota. This friend had no idea Stephen was in any trouble or running from the law. The police went on to get an open murder arrest warrant for Stephen. They could not come to a conclusion right away as to what the extent of the charges would be. A manhunt ensued, and the authorities were hot on the trail. Stephen called his sister two days later at five in the afternoon to check on his kids, and the police were able to track the call. That was all it took. They found him and the Yellow Dodge in Michigan's Wilderness State Park, which was 225 miles away. The authorities discovered that Stephen had been to his sister's home, where he stole medications and alcohol. He also had a razor blade, which I'm not sure if this came from his sister's home or not. All of this implied that he had a plan to take his own life. Stephen made his way to the state park and slept in the freezing Michigan winter weather and did not have suitable clothing for the harsh temperature of 14 degrees. He was located under a tree, dressed in a t-shirt, pants, and socks. When he was apprehended in Bliss Township, Michigan, He was flown out to Flint, Michigan, to the Northern Michigan Hospital to be treated for hypothermia and frostbite. Detective McLean said he had extreme hypothermia, semi-conscious. He was seeing people and talking to trees. He was in pretty bad shape. He was then airlifted and then taken to the local hospital. While he was in the hospital recovering, Stephen came clean about what happened to Tara. He had fatally strangled her the night of February 9th when he claimed she had gone missing. He told authorities that Tara was spending a lot of time with a co-worker, hinting that she was cheating. This was not the only time he accused her of cheating. Even if she was or was not, he did not have much room to talk. He sent emails to his ex-girlfriend that were released by her, where he not only talked about how bothered he was about Tara being gone all the time on business, but he also told this ex-girlfriend he wanted to see her without her clothes on, and explained his desire to give her a sponge bath. And since she was a nursing student, 
she could practice by giving him a sponge bath, too. Stephen went on to tell her that he suspected Tara was cheating on him with quote-unquote an old geezer that she worked with and possibly her ex-boyfriend. Of course, Stephen said these emails were just innocent, playful jokes. His excuse for saying he wanted to see his ex-girlfriend naked was, quote, I did say that because I'm a guy. Men always want to see women naked. Those are private emails sent jokingly to an old friend. There are a lot of things people say just kidding around that they wouldn't want to see on the front page of the newspaper. End quote. Stephen told police about Tara coming home that day after she had been away on business in Puerto Rico. While their kids were tucked away fast asleep in their beds, their mother was being murdered by the man that she and the kids trusted to always take care of them. Later, Stephen took her body to USG Babbitt, his dad's tool and dye shop, and he revoltingly mutilated her. He scattered her body parts in Stony Creek, Metro Park, and Shelby Township, two miles from their house. The police had already planned to search the park, and Stephen had found out about it. So he retrieved her torso, bagged it up in a black trash bag, and stored it in their garage, of all places. The Macomb County Sheriff, Mark Hackles, said investigators and search crews had recovered more body parts two miles from the home in the woods, but was not specific as to what type of body parts were found. During a press conference, Michael Hackles said, We searched a three-quarter mile area and uncovered quite a bit of remains. Our search will end at dark and will start early on Sunday. We will bring in the help of five canine dogs to assist in finding the rest of the remains. Stephen said that he was tired of being treated like her valet and that in his mind she was not a good mother because she didn't spend a lot of time with their children. He said his life was, quote, surreal, like I'm walking around in a dream, end quote. He went back and forth, one minute saying that he praised Tara for being a good mom, but in the same breath, he said she was not a good mom and never had time for the kids. Stephen said, I was a better mom than Tara was. There's no other way to put it. I was the mom in the house. She was gone all the time. If the kids needed someone to take them to swimming or school or soccer practice, I took them. Alicia, Tara's sister, spoke up in defense of Tara, saying she was a great, loving mother who flew home all the time to go to any school functions the children may have had, which contradicts everything Stephen was trying to say about Tara to make her look like a mom that only cared about her job, implying that she also spent so much time with a co-worker. Stephen said, quote, Some of her family has said in the media how much she loved her kids and how she would try to fly back in order to attend their functions. 
but that's not true. I can't recall one time when she did that. To be honest, as weird as it sounds for me to say this, I was the perfect mom, not Tara. End quote. So that's at least twice that we know of that he said he was more of a mother than Tara. Putting this woman down not only when she was alive, but in her death as well. He even started commenting on her physical looks, saying, Tara looked completely different when we met. She was beautiful. It's hard to explain. She just looked a lot different. She had the big hair, and it was a different look. After Stephen was released from the hospital, he was taken to jail, followed by a fleet of Macomb County deputies. March 6, 2007, Stephen was charged with premeditated first-degree murder and count two discovery and or mutilation of a deceased body. For those who may not know, someone could spend the maximum of 10 years in prison, a $5,000 fine, or both, for dismemberment and discovery of a body. Of course, someone would be sentenced to life for premeditated first-degree murder. The Macomb County prosecutor released Stephen's two-part confession publicly on April 13, 2007 along with a transcript of the interview with detectives and Stephen's handwritten confession. Due to all of this being protected from the children until they are old enough to read it, I cannot get the trial transcripts. There are bits and pieces of things he has said about what happened. As far as public information, this is what he told police. Grant said he and his wife were arguing in the upstairs of their suburban Detroit house in early February over what he said were her frequent work trips. She walked away, he said, and he grabbed her wrist. Tara Grant then slapped him in the face, causing a scratch to his nose. Stephen Grant told police he then hit his wife hard in the head and she fell to the floor. Tara Grant told her husband that she would call the police and he would go to jail for striking her, according to the account. The end result, he claimed she said, would be that he would lose custody of the couple's two young children. Stephen Grant told police that he then began to choke his wife. He said he covered her face with a piece of clothing, which is what killers usually do when they are murdering someone they know, so they don't have to look at their face. Stephen said, quote, She finally grabbed my hand at one point, but it was too late then, and I couldn't stop. I knew I was going to prison. I panicked. End quote. Grant said his children never woke up during the nighttime altercation. He told police that after his wife stopped moving, he placed a belt around her neck and tightened it. He dragged Tara Grant down the stairs using the belt and tried to put her in the back of her sport utility vehicle. The belt broke, he said, and his wife's head fell onto the concrete floor of the garage. He said to the detectives, quote, 
It was the most disgusting noise. It just sounded like dropping a watermelon on the cement. I knew then that I had killed her. End quote. Grant said he managed to put her in the back of the SUV and covered her with a plastic liner. Two days later, he said he drove the vehicle to the nearby tool and dye shop in which he worked. There, he attempted to cut her body with a tree saw, but it was difficult, he told police. Grant said he vomited and drank alcohol to help him complete the task. He told police that he broke band saw blades into large pieces, wrapped a rag around one end, then used them to cut the body into pieces. He said he placed the head, torso, and other body parts into plastic bags and loaded all of them into a larger container. He then drove to his Washington Township home with the body parts stored in the rear cargo area of the vehicle. According to the documents, Grant said, quote, I just told myself, look, if you don't do this, you're going to go to prison for the rest of your life, and I just kept cutting her, end quote. Stephen said he used their kid's red plastic sled to carry his wife's remains into the woods where he scattered them. During the trial, he admitted that he was having an affair with their au pair that I mentioned in the very beginning, 19-year-old Verena. Verena took the stand, crying, saying that Stephen had been flirtatious towards her for months. She testified that she was welcomed into their home in August of 2006. By January 2007, her relationship with Stephen had quickly gone from flirty to physical. On February 1st, says Verena, he told her, quote, You're beautiful, and I want to sleep with you. End quote. Over the next few days, Grant sent emails referring to feeling itchy, a term Verena testified meant to say that he wanted to have sex. They started sharing a bed only a few days before Tara's tragic death. When they would share a bed, Verena testified, it usually would be in her bedroom, not Stephen and Tara's, and the two would just cuddle and kiss. On February 8, 2007, she and Stephen had sex in the married couple's bed one day before the murder. Six-year-old Lindsay came into the room and Verena slinked under the covers, trying not to be seen. On trial, she said she had felt herself falling in love with him and that he told her he too was in love. While wiping tears away, Verena said, I wanted to protect him. I believed him. I believed everything he said. After her statement, she patted her eyes dry, dropped her head, and looked over at Stephen out of the corner of her eye, while he sat there with dead eyes and no emotion. The jurors viewed a limited number of autopsy pictures of Tara for the first time. They were also shown a police officer's videotape that was recorded in the Grant home 
as the police carried out the search warrant on March 2nd. There were scenes from the garage where Tara's body was found and the container her torso was in. December 21, 2007, the jury found Stephen guilty of second-degree murder. On February 21, 2008, it was decided that his sentence would be a minimum of 50 to 80 years imprisonment. Stephen's dad was never the same after what Stephen did and how he tore the family apart. In a turn of unfortunate events, Stephen's dad, William Allen Grant, completed suicide by shooting himself. Stephen trudged along and filed an appeal, and on March 30, 2010, it was denied. In March of 2015, the U.S. District Court Judge David Lawson denied Grant's petition in which Stephen claimed that police took his confession while he was being treated in the hospital. The judge denied that the publicity the pretrial received did not in any way make his trial an unfair one. The judge went on to say that the officials took, quote, extraordinary measures to make sure that the trial was completely fair and an impartial jury was seated. After Stephen was sentenced, Tara's sister Alicia and her husband Eric adopted Lindsay, who has her mom's luscious curly dark hair, and Ian with his mother's dark brown eyes. The children moved in with their aunt, uncle, and two cousins, Alex and Peyton, where they lived in Ohio. In an interview with the Free Press in 2014, Alicia said, Lindsay is a little Tara. She has her personality. I never expected that to come out so vividly. Even though she is her own person, I definitely see Tara in her all the time, no doubt. Ian is a really loving kid, and that was Tara. As of 2014, Lindsay and Ian were doing extremely well. At the time, they had lingering thoughts and feelings that would appear at random times throughout their lives since the tragic event. They would have PTSD or anxiety flare-ups, which would be normal for children that have gone through something so traumatic. Otherwise, they were doing really well. People that did not even know them all that well would often make remarks on how well-adjusted the children were. Alicia stated, no matter the circumstances, positive things can come out of it. Alicia did decline to comment on whether or not the children had any contact with Stephen. She said that it would not bring anything positive to their situation, and it would only fuel the nosy people out there who want to know when it really isn't any of their business. Alicia said they try not to speak badly about Stephen, and they try not to speak about him at all, unless things come up. She said she's always honest with Lindsay and Ian, and won't hide things from them. She also reminds them that they are in no way defined by their dad's actions. Alicia said her and her husband have taught them 
that just because this happened in their family to someone they loved, it doesn't define who they are or who they will become in life. They celebrate the good things about their mother, about Lindsay and Ian as human beings, and what she notices about them that reminds her of Tara instead of harping on the negativity. As far as forgiveness goes, in 2014, Alicia said, quote, I know God wants me to forgive him. I know that is what I need to do. But in my own way, I try to just forget he exists. Therefore, I do not have to deal with it. I know it is a cop-out, but I hope that at some point in my life, I can get there. I have not said those words out loud. I cannot imagine living the rest of my life in an 8 by 8 foot cell. Do I have compassion for someone who has to live that way? Absolutely. But we all make decisions in our life, and there are consequences for those decisions. He made a choice. Nobody forced him to make that choice. He made that choice. End quote. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Alicia also has regrets of the choices she didn't make back when she feels she should have. She wished that all those years ago that she would have spoken up about her intuitions and gut feelings about Stephen and the way that he treated her sister. I don't think we can ever imagine that it could get to that point of murder. I don't feel Alicia should hold on to those feelings. We can never predict that these horrific things will happen. Hindsight is always 2020, and I don't believe Tara would want Alicia to live that way. I believe there are more educational resources these days online and more ways to educate ourselves on what to do, and how to do things safely now more than ever. I know things like this won't completely ever stop, but hopefully, with all of the things that we have learned, more people can get out safely. Alicia said that Stephen's personality was controlling, and he always had to get that last word in. He always had to be right, to the point where he would put others down, just to make his point. She said that like a lot of women, Tara did not know anything about her finances, and that was a weapon of control. He isolated Tara from the people that she loved, her own family. She realizes now that she noticed these things, but she said in hindsight she didn't know what to do about it, which is perfectly normal. Sometimes people don't know what to do, and to do it safely is key, because we don't want the victim to suffer. It's a really hard place to be in, and I feel for Alicia. And if I could tell her anything, it would be to not be so hard on herself. So many people out there have such similar stories. 
Tara would not want Alicia to live with those feelings, and honestly, I wish I could give Alicia the biggest of hugs. Of course, we have those I should have, I wish I would have moments. I would urge Alicia not to beat herself up. It's okay. I know we cannot help when those feelings emerge, and we should deal with them accordingly. But we should not stay in that place of regret for too long. Alicia, you are doing the best you can by Tara right now by taking care of those two precious kids. I can guarantee that nothing makes Tara happier than seeing how well her children are being taken care of. From 2007, from when this article was published in 2014, Alicia and the family have worked with a domestic violence shelter and outreach organization in Macomb County called Turning Point. They raise money and awareness with 5K walks and Tara's memory. In 2017, Tara's daughter, Lindsay, was 16 years old, and she spoke to the Detroit News, and she said, quote, My mom would be really proud of what's going on. She would not want her death to be unimportant. She would want people to understand that situations do happen, and it, unfortunately, takes one person to lose their life for other people to get the courage to understand, end quote. In 2017, Lindsay was in 11th grade, and she was on the swim team. She ran track in the spring and rock climbed in the winter. Ian, at that time, was a freshman, and he was on the wrestling, football, and track team. Both attended New London High School in Wisconsin. Ian and Lindsay have taken Alicia and Eric's name, Standifer, as their last name, and they look forward to traveling back to their home state every year for Tara's walk. Lindsay, in tears, thanked everyone at the event in 2017, saying, It means absolutely so much, more than you can imagine. The 5K Walk at Freedom Hill Amphitheater also kicked off Domestic Violence Awareness Month. More than 500 people, including surviving family members, walking in honor of lost loved ones, were registered in 2017. Proceeds benefit the Terra Liberation Fund, which provides emergency cash assistance for domestic violence survivors. At 14 years old in 2017, Ian said, quote, If I can see things like that, I can know what's going on and I can help. It's preventable. And even if you're not directly affected by domestic violence, you can still help someone who is. I think one of Alicia's statements is a good one to leave off on when she said, quote, we keep Tara in our memory always. We celebrate her birthday every year. We do things to keep her memory alive with the kids. End quote. And that is the story of Tara Lynn. If you or someone you know or even suspect is going through domestic violence, 
please call one of the numbers in the show notes. I'll put all of the national and international hotline numbers there for you to use if you need to. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Until next time, stay safe, take care, I love you. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.